Everybody, this is the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This is Monster Kid Radio. This is episode 540. I am your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show and check out this song, Surfside Flash 3.0, from the band The Anonymous Henchmen. It's from their album, The Coming Thing. The Anonymous Henchmen is a surf band based out of Omaha, Nebraska. They've given us permission to play their music here on the show in the past, and well, this is another one of their great songs. You can check it out at anonymoushenchmensurf.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes when you're done listening to this episode of the show. Let's talk about this week's show. Slight change of plans, kind of, sort of. Now, I know at the end of last week's episode, I was a little vague about what we were going to be talking about on this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. Now, I had made some arrangements with somebody since the end of last week's episode and now to record an episode about the movie The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. However, due to some scheduling conflicts, I wasn't able to get that recording in. So that's not what's happening this week, despite the fact that I announced it last weekend during the Monster Kid Movie Club. Instead, Steve Turek is coming back to the show this week, and we are continuing our kind of sort of official, unofficial, sight unseen series of movies here on the show, where we're going to talk about a William Castle film called Let's Kill Uncle. He had never seen it before. I had never seen it before, but it's William Castle, so we're going to talk about it here on this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. And of course, this episode is packed full of monster goodness, courtesy of a couple of contributors to the show. Kenny has an amazing look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, and Mark Matsky's got the ultra-cool Beta Capsule Review. That's what's happening on this week's episode of the show. Now, before we get to the end of the show where I tell you what's coming up next week and all that, I want to go ahead and let you know now that it looks like next week's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to be doing like a feedback episode. I've got a couple of voicemails that I've been sitting on. I think I've got an email. I've got to go back through and double check. But next week's episode is going to be an all-feedback episode. And what that means for you is that if you have any feedback about this episode, about the movie that we're talking about this week, about any of the previous episodes or any of the previous movies that we've talked about, any of the previous segments, anything in general, I'd love to have you send it in so that we can talk about it next week here on the show. So I'll have the monsters in the machine tell you how you can send that feedback in here in a second, and then we'll get on with the rest of the show. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. No! No! 
Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. It's a new height in fright. What of animals to do with this? The man's jugular vein was bitten, clean through. Never before such diabolic evil as the skull. I found in the morning that the skull had been removed. But who removed it? Those who use its power. Invisible beings. Spirits from a strange, evil world. The moving skull spreads its shrieking terror everywhere. <coughs> Casting its hypnotic trance over all who fall under its hideous shadow. at its evil command. Never before such blood-curdling horror as the skull. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at PaySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. A trip to the Undersea Science Center leads to great peril for the Science Patrol in the 24th episode of Ultraman. The mission of the SSSP is to guide the president of the Science Public Corporation who will be flipping the Science Center's main power switch for the first time, accompanied by the venue's 200th guest, a little girl named Jenny. 
What's the worst that could happen? They don't have to wait long to find out. An upheaval on the ocean floor causes Fuji to think she damaged the pipeline to the center with the S-25 submarine. But the actual cause soon makes itself known. It's Gubala, a narwhal-like amphibious monster whose frontal tusk functions as a powerful drill. And the creature seems keen on eradicating the undersea base. Captain Muramatsu and Hoshino, along with the SPC president and Jenny, become stranded at the center, with the pipeline severed and the dock damaged by Gubala. It falls to Ide, Harashi, Hayata, Fuji, and Professor Yamakawa to execute a daring rescue plan. And with Gubala bent on destroying them, it looks like a job for Ultraman. After the pathos of My Home is Earth, the Undersea Science Center is more in the realm of a suspenseful adventure story with a winsome focus on the teamwork and bravery of the Science Patrol. In fact, every member of the team contributes a heroic moment to the rescue mission. Arashi displays his typical bravado in challenging Gubala. Ide invents the device that gains them entry to the fortified Science Center. Fuji scuba dives to place Ide's device on the center's roof. Hoshino keeps Jenny in good spirits and vows to keep her safe. Captain Muramatsu refuses an oxygen tank so that others can breathe. And Hayata transforms into Ultraman when all hope is lost. We could talk about the elaborate sets, the sheer number of special effects shots, and the menacing qualities of Gubala, but in the end, this episode is really about what makes the science special search party so special. The character of its human members. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. Drew Barrymore as the mad master of the black arts, using every evil means in his desire to conquer the world. Tomorrow you will present Lucilius and his generals with my vestal virgins. Enslaved women did his bidding. Soldiers were transformed into mindless puppets of the goddess of zombies. The goddess who punishes with fire and mummifies with the power of her evil third eye. Spectacle as big as the eye can perceive. Azir! Azir! The Romans are coming! What?
interested in property, desperately in need of somewhere to live or die, then we have the very place for you. Fem Hall, they call this old dark house. Why don't you drop in? Sometime. May I introduce a friend of Casper's, Mr. Pendrell? Such a surprise to find he had a friend. We're having you for dinner. <laughs> Delicious. We should warn you that the Femme family have some very killing habits. But don't lose your patience. You may lose your life. Living in the old dark house is Roderick, the eldest Femme. Then there's Cecily, the prettiest and youngest. Something terrible is happening here. To leave before the others find out. The others? Who are the others? Well, there's Aunt Agatha, who loved knitting, surrounded by a host of wool gathering relatives. Something or someone must have needled her. Must have been murder. She always knitted so carefully. This is Potiphar, and let's face it, he is plain potty. There isn't much time left, Mr. Pendrel. There isn't much time. Morgana, of course, is the femme fatale, one of the amenities of the house. Don't you have any boyfriends? I always had to be home by 12 o'clock. Well, things were just getting started, and I had to stop. Also in the old dark house, you'll find Casper and Jasper. And dead or alive, they look the same. You're, you're there, and you're dead. No, I'm not. Yes, sir. Tom was just a visiting American who came by accident, and by accident, he was still alive. Remember, we are the sole agents for this desirable property, an exclusive residence that's murder to run. It will be vacant any moment now, on dead easy terms. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, Derek and his guests are reviewing William Castle's Let's Kill Uncle. In honor of this classic director, we are going to look at FM's tribute to the man published shortly after his passing. Castle's obituary appeared in FM 138 from October of 1977. Let's hear what was written about Mr. Gimmick. Castles may crumble. That's fate, after all. Weren't you king for a day? Verse from an old popular song. William Castle was king for more than a day, and his reign will continue after his death via TV revivals of his fantastic films and, no doubt, Castle Film Festivals to come. Whitney Williams of Daily Variety characterized him as a master showman who specialized in the macabre in many of his picks and was a publicist's dream. His instinct for promotional gimmickry for a long series of pictures, particularly in the 50s and 60s, 
led to the unusual front page publicity and extra box office coin. He earned a rare reputation for low budget shockers. Early in his career, beside directing a stage version of Dracula, he directed legitimate theater productions of the two famous Misterioso plays, The Last Warning and The Cat and the Canary, which is about to undergo its fifth reincarnation as a film. Who knows now what the future might have held for William Castle had he not been failed by a heart attack shortly after dinner in his own home. He was preparing his 107th film at the time of his death, and a property known as Noise was announced as on his agenda. He was known to have been studying the potentials of Battle of Forever by A.E. Van Vogt, a Lovecraft tale, and S. Fowler Wright's far future classic, The World Below, which he found fascinating. Robert Block, the screenwriter who worked with Castle on Straitjacket and The Nightwalker, said of him, Everyone knows William Castle produced Rosemary's Baby, and every fan of horror and suspense films knows the titles of the pictures he produced, directed and promoted with unusual gimmicks over the years of his long career. So let me tell you a few things you probably don't know. That he started out in the New York theater working with Orson Welles. That he once collaborated on a novel, Heroes Oak. That in 1950, he did a film called It's a Small World, a sympathetic, moving story of a midget trying to adjust to a hostile and sensitive environment. The film failed to find the audience it deserved, and it was then that Castle probably abandoned art in favor of the exploitation features which made his career. I worked with Bill on two pictures, employing such talents as Joan Crawford, Barbara Stanwyck, Robert Taylor, and Leif Erikson. Stars of this caliber have no patience with second raters, but they clearly respected his ability. Into Bill's office during our association together came people he'd known in the early days. Cary Grant, Rock Hudson, Rosalind Russell. To them, he was a wise elder statesman in the motion picture industry. A man whose advice was worth taking because he knew and understood showmanship and entertainment. William Castle was a man who lived and loved his work. No one in Hollywood could ask for a better epitaph. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more soon. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. seems deserted. That monster's on the loose right here in town. Anybody catch sight of this thing? Well, a few kids playing in the street said he was 20 feet tall, covered with long hair and had great big teeth. Behind these empty streets, these windows shut in fear, lies the strange story of a young girl who knows the secret of the teenage monster. Fascinated by an evil demon, unable to control her sinister desires, she leads the monster to his prey, sacrificing an entire town to his insatiable lust for human life. I don't like to be stolen from her. I don't like to be laughed at. Oh, but it's not going to happen anymore. Because Charles won't let it. He'll kill anybody who does. Even you, I think. <gasps> Joe Martindale came in this morning, while six of his blooded steers last night and a rider. The steers had their throats torn out and the rider, Bill Begley, was beat to death. It's a thing again. I'll meet you back at the office. I'm going to have to go, Ruth. 
You stay in town. That thing's loose on the range again, not 15 miles from your mind. What was it? It was that thing. Harry and horrible and... Oh, it was awful. Yeah. I saw him, the monster. He ran away from this barn carrying the girl. A posse in panic, not knowing what they'll find. Man, beast, or demon from another world as they pursue the loathsome killing thing they call the Teenage Monster. First time in screen history, a special interval will be provided during the running of this picture for refunding your admission. If you're unable to stand the almost unbearable suspense, the almost paralyzing shock of homicidal. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Let's kill Uncle. That's an awesome title. And when Steve Turek reached out to me and said, let's talk about this movie, I thought that sounds fine. I've never seen the movie before. It's a William Castle film. William Castle's always got a home here on Monster Kid Radio. Steve Turek usually has a home here on Monster Kid Radio. <laughs> How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing fine, Derek. I'm doing really well. And, and I think this continues our movie trend of picking a movie that neither one of us have seen. And let's review it because I saw it for the first time just um, Friday and I called you up to say, Hey, well, you got to do this films. I'm counting, I'm counting this as a, a sight unseen movie pick. That's been our trend. I, I'm down with that. That's exactly what it was. Total sight unseen. And you know, you, you sold it as a William Castle film and that's enough for me. William Castle's great. I haven't seen enough of his non, well, the non, I, I guess, could you even say non-traditional? I mean, William Castle's known for, you know, 13 Ghosts, The Tingler, things like that. He's not necessarily known to most monster kids as somebody who does, like, suspense thrillers or westerns or comedies or any of this other stuff. But, you know, this is one of those things that's outside of that window, that, that uh, I don't know, I don't want to say collection, but that that standard William Castle thing. So, yeah, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's give it a go. Check it out. And then I started watching the movie, and then I realized the real reason why you thought of me when it came to this movie... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, there, there's a certain stinger that's used. And every time you hear this stinger, you think of the creature. And when I think of the creature, I always think of you. <laughs> I I don't know if I should take offense to that or not, but, you know, 
Um, okay, actually, no, I find it to be quite flattering. You should not be offended. I mean, obviously, everybody knows your relationship with the creature. I mean, it's it's, it's very symbiotic, so it's you, know, you can't separate one from the other now. Does the creature know that? I mean, I, I would think that. Anyway, I'm not going to go down that path. Uh, <laughs> this is a Universal film, and Universal has some very unique music in its music library, so you do get to hear the creature stinger, especially... Uh, whenever you see something underwater, there's a couple of shark scenes. You get the creature singer. Plus, it's got Nestor Pava in the movie in a small role. And you can't help but think of Lucas when you see Nestor Pava, especially when he's speaking with the accent, especially when he's, he's on a ship. And sadly, this was his last film. He was literally dying from stomach cancer as he was filming this. Hmm. And um, But he still... He's there, and we got him, and thankfully William Castle put him in this film, you know, because that way he's there forever. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's he's always been a treat to watch anyway. Of course, I fell in love with him in Creature, but anytime I see him turn up in anything, it's like, oh, yeah, that's my guy. You know, he's he's a comforting presence, kind of like a favorite uncle, as opposed to an uncle who's trying to kill you. Yes, yeah. I mean, we, and it's interesting you put it that way, because let's kill uncle, I mean, it's kind of an interesting film because there's no monster in this movie. I know this is Monster Kid Radio, but I think it has enough of the um, the tropes and I think it fits in that wheelhouse. Oh, sure. And it's William Castle. I mean, there are certain actors and actresses and filmmakers. It doesn't matter. You know, I mean, at some point, I'm sure we're going to talk about some of the Lon Chaney Westerns just because it's Lon Chaney. You know, some of these people have will always have a home here on MKR. And, and Castle's one of them. And he actually gets to act. He's, he's, he's in the beginning of the movie. I mean, you, you see him up there on the big screen. Yeah. And he would do that with some of his work, you know, when he wasn't appearing on screen as a, hi, I'm William Castle, and here's the punishment corner or whatever. <laughs> he would sometimes appear in a small cameo. I think he even turns up briefly in Rosemary's Baby at one point, so he produced that one. So, yeah, uh, he did a little bit of that. He wanted to be Hitchcock, you know? So he would do cameos. Oh, yeah. We know other um, filmmakers that have, that have little cameos and movies and stuff since then. And um, it's all that little tribute to Hitchcock. <laughs> so let's kill Uncle. It's 1966. We're going to get into the movie. But first, I want to catch up with Steve. It's been a little while since we've had him on the show. been a long time since we've had him on Monster Kid Radio. Uh, even though I've got a recording kind of sort of in the can that I need to work on a lot to, to make listenable. Uh, because of something that happened on my side. But if you want to listen to Steve, you can always hear him on his podcast. What's going on with the Diecast Movie Podcast? We're exiting year number two and entering into year number three with the start of October. We're starting out the next year with a bang. Mary Batum, I interviewed her. And um, so that's going to be our first episode after the, the new year. We have a couple episodes to finish that year two with. Pete's Dragon just dropped and... We have an interview and another movie review, but the Mary Battle will be the start of year number three. And then something I think your listeners would love to, to, get, to dive into, we're going to be doing an ongoing multi-episode arc on James Whale. Very cool. We're not just talking about Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, and um, The Old Dark House, but we're doing Journey's End, Waterloo Bridge, and all these other films, Showboat. Um, so we're doing about 10 of his films. Each um, episode will have a different um, co-host with me. Some, there's a couple times where it the doubles up. And um, I also was able to interview James Curtis, who wrote a biography on James Whale. And that'll be our lead-off episode at a retrospective. And that'll be interspaced 
for the rest of this year into next year. When does that start? It'll probably start in the middle of October with James Curtis's episode. And then um, we're going to kind of go for the movies in chronological order, if at all possible. And I have some interesting, I got some a really great co-host coming in. I got Rod Barnett doing a couple episodes. Um, Troy's doing an episode. Joshua Kennedy, Ansel Farage. Um, okay, so where's the great co-host, though? Where's the what? Where's the great co-host you just mentioned, though? The great co-host? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Rod Barnett is awesome. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just <laughs> what can you say with him? Rich Chamberlain, Jeff Owens from the Classic Cars Club. And when we do Bride of Frankenstein, I'm going to have the one and the only Sam, the man, Irvin. Very cool. Those are all awesome folks. So that'll be cool. That'll be really cool. Awesome. So that kicks off in October. That kicks off next month. Yeah, next month, and it'll go through in the next year. Because everybody always focuses on James Whale's horror genre, but they forget the bulk of his work was outside of that. And it's been an interesting journey um, to go through to see him develop and do different things as a director. Because he's done a musical with Showboat. He's done comedies. He's done dramas. And it's It's been really wonderful to take this trip through James Whale's life. Well, keep me posted about that. That sounds amazing. Uh, let Make sure you post about it in the Facebook group at the very least. And the show, it, where can people find the podcast? Pretty much on any podcast catcher. So it's on, um, you know, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. Our main spot is, is through Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm, you put it in, uh, you'll find us. And also Facebook, Diecast Movie Podcast, you go there and you'll see one of the episodes that are out on the links and I put links to different podcast catchers on that. So people can just click and then go to the one that they normally do. Right on. Well, we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to, uh, you know, the main site where you oh. host the podcast. And we have, we of have, course. A, and we have a, we have a, a, a great podcaster joining us in our third year to talk about some fantasy, a fantasy film, which will be a crossover with their podcast, which I can't wait to put out. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> By Crom, uh, by Crom, it will be done. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve and I do have a pair of episodes uh, sitting uh, in the wings. Uh, you know, uh, we did a Conan the Barbarian discussion over here, and we're doing Conan the Destroyer over his his podcast. The only reason I haven't moved forward on it is I discovered that a good thirty minutes of that conversation did not record on my side. So I'm going through and trying to. Uh, you know what? I don't know if I want to reveal that much of how the sausage is made here. There's some technical difficulties. Let's just say that. <laughs> I blame the ghost in the machine. They, they were they were doing some hijinks. So I think it was them. <laughs> mm, see, I just blamed you. Well, you can blame me if you want, but um, I think my <laughs> end was recorded. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway. Um... <laughs> want to kill me if anything happens to us and it looks like an accident he gets his hands on five million this is very serious barnaby where's the sergeant's gun i don't know i didn't take it your uncle's trying to kill you right let's kill uncle first
Let's kill Uncle before Uncle kills everyone. You've heard of Homicide. Now see a little Uncle side. Good heavens. What's the matter? Fuel tank's empty. Well, looks like the end of the game for both of us. Here we go. <laughs> There you go. So we are talking about this movie from 1966. It is one of William Castle's Universal films. And like we talked about earlier, it's clearly Universal. You can tell because of the music. Uh, none of the music in this film is original. It's all pulled from Universal's musical library, which at this point there was a lot. And a lot of it was pretty recognizable. I, it wasn't just the sting at the very beginning uh, with Creature. There's a lot of Creature that I recognize in this. Uh, it's really kind of hard to miss. So... <laughs> Uh, definitely in there. This is towards the end of his directing career. This is like, he would only go on to direct four of the films after this He'd produce a few other things, but this is getting near the end, but it still has a lot of the fun William Castle flourishes that we've come to expect from him. If you go and you watch some of his more traditionally genre films, especially like 13 ghosts, I see a lot of 13 ghosts in this, maybe a little bit of 13 frightened girls as well. And I think partly because the lead characters are children. Oh, yes. To me, it's a very family-friendly mm -hmm. um, movie. The only real graphicness you have is in the very beginning with um, the father's death that, lead, that leads off the whole thing, which William Castle plays. And you see a car wreck and you see some fake blood on the face. and That's about the extent of the gore. It's not all that much. But the suspense is still pretty high. Once you realize what's happening in the story, or at least once you realize what you think is happening in this story, even though that cat is let out of the bag pretty early on in the film, it's still pretty tense. And, you know, I don't know how we're going to really talk too much about it without talking about the movie itself. So, <laughs> but, well, this basically um, Barnaby Harrison's father dies in a car accident and um, his mom had already passed away or was gone prior. It doesn't really, they don't really say much. And, he is going to inherit $5 million from his father. He goes to his uncle's house, his father's brother, on an island to be taken care of because he's 12 years old. When he gets over there on his journey, he meets another girl named Chrissy, who's played by Mary Batham. And um, they get to the island. Uncle's not there yet. When uncle arrives, he basically tries to kill Barnaby because he wants the $5 million for himself. He tells Barnaby about all this. They set up rules for engagement. Um, Barnaby, who's also a chronic exaggerator about different things established in the movie, tells Chrissy she believes him. And Chrissy says, well, if Uncle's trying to kill you, then we should try to kill him. So let's kill Uncle. And that's the, basically the premise of the movie. Who can kill who first? You know, family friendly, you know, it's it's very Adam family esque, you know, in how it um, <laughs> goes about this, because it's it, there's rules of engagement. And uh, and and Nigel Green as the uncle is oh, awesome. Oh, he's great. Uh, he's probably the biggest star in this. Right. Uh, Nigel Green, at least at the time, and probably even now, Nigel Green is fantastic in this. Uh, he's got 
such a menacing presence when he needs to be menacing. But then he turns on the charm when he doesn't need to be menacing at all. And just the back and forth. Oh, Davy, probably, you know, very, very proper. I'm going to put on my chef's hat and we're going to have a meal together. And then <laughs> you're a, what, what does he, what does he call him? Uh, he's a delightful child, but he's not $5 million worth of delightful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. That's great. Ah, oh. oh man. Uh, and just, he's so matter of fact about what he's doing to these kids. Uh, <laughs> it's so direct and i was surprised that's what i was getting at earlier i'm really surprised that the movie decided to go ahead and let that cat out of the bag right away i think some other filmmakers would have held on to the this is what's really going on part of the story until much later on make it more of a psychological the kids are exaggerating imagining things no the uncle just flat out tells the kids while the camera's running i'm going to kill you (laughs) you know and your little friend too (laughs) right you brought her into this she's now part of the game you know (laughs) and she's even worse than davy when it comes down to it she's the one stealing guns and taking gas out of planes and i love that scene where she's she's emptying the gas from the plane because uncle's gonna make a trip to the mainland in his plane to Uh to get close and she's there whistling as the gas is leaking out and it's just like la da da you know like with her whistle it is so nonchalant and then she finds out that barnaby goes with uncle because he needs clothes he figures oh he might as well bring him with them so that way they can size them up and then she's like oh my i might have killed both <laughs> right <laughs> and, and uncle for those that don't know is a mate is a major was a major in the army and he has written a book about how to kill your enemies and it's like sitting there you see it periodically in the movie and the sergeant who travels with Barnaby, there's a Sergeant Frank Travis character played by Robert Pick, Pickering. And mm-hmm. he's there to get Barnaby across. And then um, Nigel, the uncle's character, asks him to stay because basically he wants a police person there. So if something bad happens to the boy, they can prove it's an accident. Right. You know, oh, the, the officer was here and he said it was an accident. I didn't kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and and that kind of thing but it's just um so he's written a book about how to kill people the sergeant's reading the book and all this stuff's going on about this he hypnotizes um barnaby and tries to have him off himself i mean it's just amazing all these different ways that they try to do barnaby and chrissy trying to use a tarantula i mean it's it is amazing how things that the uncle put a shark in a swimming pool just hoping that barnaby might fall in it but you know, it's <laughs> You know, you're describing all these great things, and that's 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 fine. But he sets the cemetery on fire while they're in there. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> and and he, and he took time to establish how oh we, we got to be careful with the fire because it's it's a dry season. Everything will go up like kindling. He's out then they're in the cemetery trying to catch the tarantula. And mm-hmm. he's around there putting gasoline or kerosene or something around on the shrubbery, going all around it, and throws a match. And he's watching him, and he's like, I got him. And then it rains. And his whole facial expression as he sees the rain, sees the fire go down, and his head just hangs there like, really? I had him. <laughs> <laughs> and Nigel Green plays it so well. And for listeners that oh, haven't man. seen this, this is available on blu-ray you can watch this right now i mean you know pause the video go pause the podcast go watch it and come back but it's just it's readily available 
I, I guess I'm taken by the uh, by the fire. I, I don't know why that one stuck with me the way that it did, but it did, uh, and it's just <laughs> like this. Well, this is uh, quite the effect for a William Castle film. <laughs> well, according to Cardi, Nigel mm-hmm. Green did not want the spider, the um, the tarantula, to be on him because it's supposed to be on his bare chest or whatever. Okay. And um, and basically, Nigel was like, no. And it was very enthusiastic. And Castle told him that Sean Connery had a real tarantula walk on his chest in Dr. No. And Green shouted out, if it's good enough for Connery, it's good enough for me. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> and then, then the scene without complaint, unaware that Connery actually had a tarantula walk over a glass pane rather than on his naked skin. <laughs> now, did Castle know that, I wonder? I don't know. <laughs> But I could see Castle <laughs> pulling that somebody's like, oh, yeah, he, he walked across Connery's thing. See, there's the footage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. What, what a treat. What a delightful little creepy movie that, you know, under normal circumstances, I would have found the kids annoying. But there's something about the way William Castle works with children that I don't find annoying at all whether it's 13 Ghosts, 13 Frightened Girls I mentioned earlier, which I think is an underrated Castle film, by the way. Highly recommend that one. Uh, or, or this. These kids, by all rights, should have been annoying, and I wouldn't want to spend 90-plus minutes with them. But I didn't mind them at all. Yeah, he's a little bit of a brat. And the way they call each other stupid all the time got really annoying. But, you know, by the time the movie's over... I kind of wanted to, you know, just hang out with that. That kind of makes your family some more, you know? Oh, I agree. Mary Battle, who plays Chrissy, just to mm-hmm. give an idea of some of the background, I mean, for those that don't know, she's Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. That's probably her most famous film. But she was also in the last episode of The Twilight Zone, The Bewitching Pool, and um, other things like This Property is Condemned. So she's worked with like Robert Redford, Gregory Peck, and all these, Natalie Wood. And all that stuff. But she shares in the interview, I'm going to tease this so people are going to listen to it. She talks about William Castle, and it is a great story. And if anybody's a William Castle fan, you're going to love this story, how she just gushes about uh, Mr. Castle, you know, how she, yeah. when she first met him and what, she, what he did for her to help her get prepared for this movie and thing. It's, it's a nice story. And, and I will say this. When I, I'm the first one who's ever asked her about Let's Kill Uncle. She said she's never been asked that question by anybody before. And when I asked her about it, she goes, oh, that terrible film. It started laughing, but she hadn't seen it in 55 years. <laughs> so she said she's going to watch it again, you know, because I told her, it's mm-hmm. not, I said, it's not that bad. I said, it's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's, I said, it's no To Kill a Mockingbird, but I mean, it's... it's <laughs> 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 well, that's 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 true. You weren't wrong. <laughs> Not many films are, but I mean, it, it was an it's it's an enjoyable film. You know, I mean, you're you're happy sure. you watched it, and um, it, 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 I just I enjoyed the ride. I totally get that, and you know, I don't know what else to say about it other than it's just a really fun, light, but still kind of suspenseful film. You know, at first it feels like it's going to be kind of like a cheapie, you know, and William Castle didn't always have the biggest budgets, but they set a cemetery on fire. So it's not like they weren't not spending money. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, the footage of the shark and, and the plane is all stock footage, whatever, and it's stock music. But they set a cemetery on fire. So, you know, <laughs> you know and, and I know it was a controlled burn, whatever I get down. I, I know how movies work, but it still gave the movie uh, a bigger feel. It felt more filling than it probably had any right to be. And another part of the reason for that, I think, or another contributing factor to that, again, it's Nigel Green. He's just phenomenal. They even pull a little bit of Bela Lugosi with him where they do the close-up of his eyes when he's doing the hypnotism. Mm-hmm. So good. So good. And I never thought about how creepy that man's eyes could be, but the way he is looking, and yeah, his eyes are exaggerated for, comic, for, for evil effect, and his eyebrows are all teased out at that point, but they look really good. Oh, I, I thought it was excellent, and yeah, I think from what I've read, this was Nigel Green's first lead role. Wow. You know, I mean, you think about like, when he, was, he was Hercules, Jason and Yargonuts. He was not the lead, you know, he was right. a supporting character, but right. it was, but from what I've read now, of course, this is like from Wikipedia. So take everything there with a grain of salt, because like sometimes Wikipedia will tell you if certain people are married when they're not. And I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> are you, are, are you going to tell them? <laughs> No, I was going to give you the opportunity to say something during this episode. So why, let's sidetrack a second ago. Okay. A second. Uh, oh, uh, in, you could tell. In the me. last episode, in fact. In the last episode, we covered what? Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Yeah. And I made a comment over three years ago in that recording <laughs> that I edited and released uh, last week uh, about Beswick having been married to one of the lead actors of the movie She, which is one of Scott's favorite movies. Yeah. Was, was it John Richardson? Yeah. Yeah. And. During the B movie cast, they had an episode that came out shortly after John Richardson's death, and they had Martine Beswick on there for an interview. And she said that they've never were married; they lived together, but were never married, and that is just wrong. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, no, but, but unless you listen to that episode, it's like all of us; we we go with the facts we get, and and that's why it's important sometimes to get these interviews and talk to people to get the truth, because sometimes people will just cite a source from another source from another source. And that first source could have been wrong, but then, but then once it's out there in print and it's out there on the internet or whatever, and then people just, you know, they don't know if it's right or wrong. If it's, you know, if it's, nobody's going to go back and correct something that might've been put out, you know, decades ago. Yeah. Scott, why'd you get that wrong? Oh, well, you can blame Scott, but you know. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> are, are you going to fire him again? Like you usually would do. Like you, I think he, he, he holds the highest amount of times you fired somebody and I'm up there at number two, but it's a distant. I'm going to put Scott on administrative leave until the beginning of October. Sure. It might coincide with the time that he's going to Disneyland or world or wherever he's going, but he's on leave now. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, so some of these things, you know, when you, when we're, when we're always looking at our sources, we're always hoping, you know, the best we can. And even if you're talking to, an actor from that film or director, you know, when we're talking about films that are decades ago, sometimes uh, memories could be a little mixed up or whatever. And, and sometimes they could be wrong, you know, about certain facts about a film and that kind sure. of thing. But, you know, you try to do the best you can, but, but Pat Cardi, um, the Blu-ray, he has um, a bone as a bonus feature. He talks about let's kill uncle and goes over different things. So I'm thinking I'm going to get the Blu-ray, I'm going to put, I'm adding it to my wish list, you know, so for Christmas, hopefully one of my kids or my wife will get it for me. 
But the first time I've ever saw Pat Cardi was in a movie called Horror High, mm-hmm. um, which I think was his last film. And he was the lead. And that's like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type film. And I'm um, sitting in the high school. And I remember seeing that over like over three decades ago, so, you know, or more. And I enjoyed it, but I haven't seen it since. But he's been in a film, in a small role, in a film that you and Scott did, speaking of Scott. Oh, yeah? Battle for the Planet of the Apes. That is true. That is true. And I'm not familiar with a lot of his work. I'm not familiar with uh, things like um, Horror High or anything like that. And Battle for the Planet of the Apes, he was one of the uh, one of the apes. So, yeah, I didn't really see him in makeup or anything, so to speak. So I have that excuse. You know, it's not like I said he was married to Martin Beswick or anything. So, I mean, cut me a little bit of slack. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, 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 if you said you could recognize him, that would probably be a bad insult for the actor. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's true, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, we made ape makeup. You look just like yourself. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What? No. Um. <laughs> that, that would be, uh, that, that would definitely kill an interview there. Yeah. But what did you think of Linda Larson, who played Justine, who was Chrissy's um, aunt? Yeah, Lindy Lawson. Um, She's in a movie I, I haven't seen, but from what I, I read about it, I think it's one that you and I should try to do was the next sight unseen, unless you've seen it. I have seen it because I showed it at the Monster Kid Movie Club once. We were talking about Night Tide, right? Yes. Uh, that is a really, really good movie. She's Mora in Night Tide. Oh, the female lead. Oh, oh man. So much better than I ever thought it would be before I ended up watching it. For whatever reason, I avoided it thinking this isn't going to be all that great. But when I finally did sit down to watch it, I was blown away. It is so good. And I'm down for talking about it still. If you want to talk about it, I'll put that on the list for things for you and I to talk about. Because uh, it's it's really good. And I liked her in this too. I think she's a lot more engaging uh, in Night Tide, a lot more dynamic. Well, it's a lead role. This, yeah, it's a lead role. And in this, she's kind of sort of the love interest, but not, you know, and, and she's just kind of there. But, I mean, she's fine. She's good. She's great in Night Tide, but she's good in this. When I read the description of Night Tide and the plot, the whole thing, too, it's, I know how it ends, I, you know, and that kind of stuff. But it was just, right. I was like, well, this this seems interesting. I was like, whoa, this is this is really good fantasy slash horror type mm-hmm. movie set up. I, I just thought it would be an excellent movie to watch. So um, it's, it's good. It's what, good. Like is it available on YouTube or something like that? Um, you know, it's technically in the public domain, but I think it's been released on Blu-ray at this point too. Mm-hmm. I think it's in the public domain. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, well, it would have to be if I showed it in the club. Yeah. So, yeah, say, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now we're not going to talk about the ending, but I'm just going to, what exactly it is. But what did you think of the ending? Because according to Cardi, several endings were shot for the oh, really? film and Universal picked the worst one, according to him. And there are a lot of politics going on with the film. I, I really now want to interview this man because I want to know what these other endings yeah. were. And and he thought this was the worst of them. I don't. I mean, when he says several, I'm assuming there has to be three or four or more um, endings that were filmed. And I'm curious, like how it could go. But what did you think of this ending? Did you enjoy I it? Was a little underwhelmed. I thought, eh. Well, that's. I guess that's one way to end a movie. I I didn't. I wasn't overly excited about the the ultimate resolution. What about you? I think 
they were going for a certain, I think Universal was going for a certain audience and probably wanted to pick an ending now to be the most family friendly. Yeah. And not that knowing makes what sense. the other endings are like. So this is probably the most family friendly of the endings, but I'm really curious to know what these other endings were and if he can remember any of them, you know, and that kind of stuff. So I'm, that, that is a question. If I can interview him, um, that I'm definitely going to ask and find out, you know, if he knows what the other endings, if he remembers the other endings. Yeah, no. And I, I mean, we, we are talking a little bit of spoiler, but not a lot. And I don't want to get too far into spoiler territory on this one. I mean, we set up the story enough and I think that's fine. Yep. But yeah, the, the ending itself, I found to be a little underwhelming. Um, not enough to make me dislike the film. Like I said, I really enjoyed the movie. But <laughs> it, it did leave me feeling like a little... A little flat and a little kind of, huh? You know, it took me a second. I actually had to rewind it and back it up and watch it a second time. Because I didn't think, I thought maybe I, I had to have missed something. Right, for it to end that way. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. But it did, it just kind of left me feeling kind of, huh? It leaves it open to be a sequel. Right? Yeah. Practically it does. Which, huh? <laughs> I just didn't expect it uh, to end that way. Uh, but, you know, if they're going for a family friendly, if they're going for kids to watch it, that sort of thing, I, I guess I get it. But it didn't really work as well for me as it probably could have. An interesting thing I read, which I thought was just is just to me fascinating, when, how people can argue about to me, which would be like a, mon, a, a, a minor plot point. Mm -hmm. Castle wanted Barnaby to inherit $20 million. And the book, because this is based off a novel that came out in uh, 1963, right. was supposed to, the book he inherited $10 million, But Universal insisted on $5 million when William Castle objected. MCA Universal head Lou Wasserman came to Castle himself telling them, for $20 million, I would kill the kid myself. <laughs> Wow. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> so people wonder why, like, why Castle wanted it to be twenty million. The book had ten million. Universal's like, no, we're going five million. I, I guess we know how much uh, Universal values children. Um, <laughs> but you know what it would take for Lou Wasserman to uh, off a kid. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, once, once you establish it's twenty million, then you could say, well, you know, you, you know. We know you're going to kill somebody for a certain amount of money. Now, would you would you do it for eighteen million? <laughs> Let's find out what your lowest rate would be. <laughs> do I hear fourteen? Do I hear fourteen? Going once, going twice. <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes uh, the man with the golden gun look like he was doing it for chump change, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh man, I did, uh. I did that for you, Scott. I did that for you. <laughs> You know, I, I dug it, though. I mean, like I said, I thought the ending was a little eh. And hearing that I, makes me question a lot. But I still enjoyed the heck out of it. I really did. Uh, it, it's a fun way to spend almost 90 minutes. It comes in just under an hour and a half, which seems to be the sweet spot for Castle between mm -hmm. an hour and an hour and a half. You know, th those are the kinds of just fun kick back and enjoy yourself with some popcorn. Uh, I didn't do popcorn with this one because I watched it right before we started recording and I was still uh, eating breakfast. Um, <laughs> that would be an interesting uh, breakfast. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, well, no judgment, but well, you, you know. could have had corn pops. 
Not with the diabetes, dude. I think that would go over poorly. Well, I know I'm diabetic too, but I'm just I was trying to go with the popcorn angle, you know, just reverse um, it, corn pops, you know. I, you know, I appreciate <laughs> you. I appreciate it. Uh, my, the, you know, I'm not even going to go into that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it, I have a very healthy breakfast, Steve. Okay, I'm just saying, you know. And I'm only saying that on the off chance the person I'm seeing is listening to this podcast. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> always remember, Derek, always remember the, the, the mantra I learned when I grew up in Baltimore City. Always in cash and never in writing. <laughs> Knowing who Steve works for when he's not podcasting makes me question quite a few things at this moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just saying, you know, it's, it's words my Uncle Dominic Ferry always told me to live by. And, <laughs> and I live by them, you know. He's... Oh, man. it You know, this is a fairly light episode, and I'm, I'm cool with that. It's a light conversation about a movie that it, it's just kind of a fun romp. There was something I wanted to ask you about, though, now that I'm thinking about it. And I'm looking at the movie poster, wondering how I'm going to edit it for the podcast. Uh, it's a great poster. Cover art. <laughs> it's a great poster. There's a, a figure on the poster uh, from the film that I wondered about, and that would be the character of the catchman. Yes. Yeah. What, what, what is that? At first it sounds like that's his name, but a few times they talk about how they have a catchman. Is that a position? I, I don't do yeah, you know I anything thought, about that. I thought it was like, he, he was a catchman because he catches fish. Right. And so he was, so I'm, I'm thinking it's a nickname. Like he's the catchman, you know, and he, and he, just, he refers to himself as that. And, the guy who played him was a fashion photographer for several decades. Yeah, Ref Sanchez is his name, and I know nothing about him. You know, fashion photographer than, in the fifties or seventies. I mean, he he was in some TV work, but um, you know, but that wasn't his main job. You know, I mean, I think I think people just saw him and like, hey, you want to. You want you want to do a movie, you know, and that kind of thing. And so, it, what can you say? I mean, he, he, it's a small role. He had makeup put on. It's only his second acting credit as well. He, he was in you know, stuff that I know, but you you probably don't know. I think the only TV work that you probably would be familiar with most people would be Get Smart. But he was he was in you know the stuff that was in, was in the seventies, late sixties type TV shows. I mean, you know. It, he did fine in the role. It's a small role, but it's 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 yeah. It sets up things because he rescues the girl in one thing, um, Chrissy, and um, scares her also prior to that. You know, it gets that jump scare. You know, like, and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, because of the you know the way he was there and just suddenly and she looks and there he is. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost implied though at one point too that he might be in on this whole thing. Like there's a moment, at least that's the impression that I got. Now I, I don't think he was, but I, I got the impression there at one point towards the end that he was kind of in on all this, or blackmailed, or, or forced. To oh do it. yeah, yeah. Good yeah. point. Good point. But yeah, I, I, it it's hard to say because it was never really established, and I I think the reason it was put in there was to make it more family friendly. Sure. You know, so, I could see that. So not to make it like, oh, he, you know, that something bad happened to him. It was like, so I think that line was put there for that purpose. Without having talked to Pat Cardi, and I didn't know to bring this up to to Mary Battle, you know, at the time, you know, about I didn't know about the multiple endings or you know why they changed mm-hmm. this or that. 
Well, why don't you just give her a call? I know whenever you have somebody on your podcast, they are like immediately on your Christmas card list. You're close personal friends with all these people now, right? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ron Perlman's calling me out for a barbecue next week. Yeah, yeah, he's sending his private jet. Well. <laughs> no. <laughs> no but, but the thing is also, again, this, these are child actors, and the movie yeah. was 55 years ago today. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... it's uh, it, it, it would be interesting to tell what they remember and that kind of stuff. And of course, Pat Cardi seems to you know, like I said, he, he was, you know, stated as saying these different things. So I'm curious. And it might be on the Blu ray where he talks about the movie. I don't know. You know, so it's sure. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to be adding this to my Amazon wish list. This is something I'd love to add to my collection because it's, it's fun. It's, it's, got some neat scares they set a cemetery on fire uh you, you <laughs> I really know, seem I keep... fascinated by that dude it's fire and it's a cemetery i kept on my favorite thing um anyway uh... <laughs> and, it's got the, and it's got the stinger from creature from the black lagoon i mean what else could a, a monster kid named Derek m cook want right right just say adams <laughs> to be in it well if she would have been justine you would have been flying on you would have seen the movie already for one and you would have that's been, true and you would have been that's flying true. on cloud nine <laughs> you know and and this makes me a bad fan there there are some juliana's movie out there that i haven't seen yet so anyway i never would have saw this movie if it wasn't for me interviewing mary battle because I, I saw she has like i said a small imdb page of different movies that mm -hmm. she's in and um, so I looked this up and I was like, oh, let me watch this. So I'm ready to interview her. Just like, well, I really enjoy this movie, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And, and I knew I was I, I was inclined to because it had William Castle. I saw it had Nigel Green. So I was already like, oh, this is a couple of good bright spots in it. And you get in there and you just enjoy the thing. But when you do these things, you find these other movies out. And then, and then of course, it's, it's almost like um, if you give a mouse a cookie. And once you see this film, you're like, oh, this person's in it. So then we go see some of their work. <laughs> And it goes oh, on and on and on. It, it's the movie nerd equivalent of falling into the YouTube rabbit hole. <laughs> it, it's uh, like eight o'clock at night. You're trying to find something to do in the evening and you look up something on YouTube. And then at 4 a.m. you realize somehow or other you're looking at something completely unrelated. <laughs> because you just kept following something in YouTube, you know, over and over and over again. And that happens with these movies, too. You know, to go back to the Julie Adams thing. And, and it's William Castle related. There's a William Castle film called Hollywood Story starring Julie Adams. That is probably not something I would have sought out on my own if it wasn't directed by William Castle, if it didn't have Julie Adams in it. And now I love that movie. I'm so glad I discovered it. And I'm always on the firm belief. I said, you see a movie when you're when you're supposed to see it. Things happen when they're supposed to. You can never go back and say, oh, I wish I could have saw this 10, 20 years. But you can't go back. Nobody has a way back machine yet. You see it when you're when you see it, and then you move forward from it, and you got that experience, you know. So it's uh, things happen when a lot of times when they're supposed to happen at that particular moment of your life, kismet, whatever way you want to call it. Right. But I mean, this with the creature stinger with Lucas in it. I mean, you know, come on, you know. Yeah, I mean, you got you got to watch this. And, and again, it's it's light. It's not monster heavy. Uh, there's some suspense, but it's fun suspense. It's just a good time. It's the kind of thing that would have happened if William Castle directed an episode of The Brady Bunch. All right, that, That's kind of the vibe that I get from it. And I mean that in the nicest, most complimentary way possible. Yeah. It's, like I said, it's a William Castle family-friendly film, you know, with, with, with a lot of dark comedy in it. 
And mm-hmm. um, it's a good movie. But when we were kids, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid growing up, if it was raining and you couldn't go out and play on Saturday and you'd turn on the TV and it was on, you'd have a nice 90 minute. Well, actually, it'd be two hours because of the commercials. But you'd have a nice two hour um, time watching it, enjoying the show and that kind of thing. And I think that's what this is. It's just it's a nice 90 minute respite from the current stuff that everybody goes through. You get that chance to escape. Enjoy your 90 minutes. Let William Castle lead the way, and you will have a good day. Wow. That is a far cry from what I thought you were about to say. I don't know how it was when you were a kid, but when I was a kid growing up, I had an uncle who was trying to kill me for... (laughs) I actually had an uncle with a new hitman that could get me killed, so it's... (laughs) Hey, is that where you picked up the always cash, never write it down? (laughs) <laughs> you, you think I made you think I made an uncle up and all that stuff up? No, this is all true. <laughs> he, he he married into the family and he came from Italy. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> mm. I take back everything I've ever said about you behind your back, Steve. Just saying, he, he was a bricklayer uh, as his daytime job. So I mean, you know, I, I, who knows what was in those foundations? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're now my favorite Steve. Um, don't, don't tell the other Steve's I said that, but, uh, the other Steve's don't have mafia connections. So, um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I cannot confirm nor deny I have any, but I, but I know people that do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, well, this is fun, man. And you said it's on Blu-ray, huh? I'm going to have to keep an eye out for that and see what I can do about getting my yeah, hands but on I, it. When I looked at it last, I think it was less than $20. It came out last year. That's a Kino release, I believe. So you yes. know it's going to look good, if nothing else. Yes. Well, let's see. How much time have we got here? We've been going for, what, 45, 50 minutes here? I don't know. You, you, you're clocking it. I'm, I'm... I, I, am, I am clocking it. Let's knock out some Classic 5 before I let you go. What do you think? The Classic 5! The Classic Five is a game that we try to play with almost every guest that comes onto the show. Uh, it's a deck of cards. Each card has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question? It's not a trivia game. It's just a way to get monster kids talking about monster movies. We're going to draw five cards. Are you ready to play a round of the Classic Five? Oh, let's do it. Let's see if I can come up with something controversial. See, it's not about trying to stump me or throw, you know, whatever. Just <laughs> no, I'm not trying to, try to stump you. I'm just saying, you know, that's. I'm from I'm a film lover and I I feel sometimes I come with a different perspective than your typical audience member because I love all types of genres. So it's it's um, so I come from that background. Well, I'm going to try to tailor some of this toward, uh, you know, make it a little bit more topic specific if we possibly can. So question number one, card number one, what's your favorite William Castle gimmick? Gimmick. William Castle gimmick. Well, I love it when he has the nurses. At residents at movie theaters because that has, that has that little factor and right away oh there's a there's a nurse here you know this could be bad but I've, I've I've never experienced any of these gimmicks except for one in real life okay and and that was um the Ron Adams of Monster Bash was doing those monster film festival things and one of the ones he had was a Vincent Price one and they had uh, the House on the Haunted Hill. Mm-hmm. And um, so what happens in the movie The House on the Haunted Hill, Derek, if you if you were to see it in the theaters back in the time it came out, what would have happened to you? Uh, that's the one with the skeletons, right? That's a, yes. Uh, what, do they call, what do they call it? Something. Emerjo or. 
That's it. Emergo. That's Emergo. Right, yeah. Yeah. So Ron Adams set it up so the skeleton came out at that time. You know, and so I was able to experience it. And so I'm going to go with that one as my pick because that's one I actually was able to experience in real life. Though I'd love to have the shock on the seat from the tingler, <laughs> those kind of yeah. things. But oh man! But I was able to experience the skeleton coming out during the movie. Uh, what can you say? I'm going with that one because that's I was able to do. That's so cool. Yeah, uh, at the Lovecraft Film Festival a few years ago, they brought in the Tingler and they had some of the seats rigged. Unfortunately, it was only like 16 seats, eight seats, very few seats, but a few people got zapped. I did not. I had hoped to, but I did not get zapped. But it was still fun. And I'm not... It's hard for me sometimes to turn off the I'm just here to watch the movie part of myself when I'm watching a movie. I don't interact with film. I don't do the Rocky Horror Picture Thing show. I watch a movie. Maybe I'll laugh at something, but that's about it. Yep. But this time, I let loose. When Vincent Price said scream, I screamed with everybody else, and I had a blast. What was your scream like there? Can you can you share us the Derek scream? No. <laughs> It was it was quite manly though, if I remember right, and it made everybody swoon. But other than that, well, yeah, I can imagine because everybody else started screaming probably when you started. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. But I mean, anyway, I mean, there, you you could have the next most famous screen. I mean, scream. You could do it, and then it could be used in everything. And people say it's the cook scream. I don't. I don't want that. That's not the legacy I'm looking for. <laughs> but it is a legacy. <laughs> It is a legacy, but it's not the legacy I'm looking for. <laughs> uh, sometimes you, it's not what you look for. It's what you're given. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway. Yes, Chris. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let's, 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 do some more, let's do some more gimmick stuff. What's a movie that you wish you could have seen in 3D? Classic monster movie you wish you could have seen in 3D. Well, that I wish it Whether it was seen. in 3D or not. All right. I've seen Creature. The first time I ever saw Creature from the Black Lagoon, I saw it in 3D. Nice. I saw the, um, was it the Wax Museum with Vincent Price? House of Wax. House of Wax, thank you. It was, it was the remake of the Wax Museum, right? Uh, Mystery of the Wax Museum and then House of Wax and then yeah. Terror of the I Wax saw Museum that in 3D, yeah. so I can't count those two. So I've seen the blob and the blob wasn't in 3D though. I think the blob would be cool to see in 3D. You know, there's some pretty cool shots in that that would look awesome in 3D. Could you imagine you're sitting there eating pink or red cotton candy and the oh. blob is reaching out for you at the same time and then you're like, ah. <laughs> It'd be so meta. The blob's trying to eat you as you're eating something that looks like the blob. I like it. I like it a whole lot. That sounds awesome. Or red liquid, anything, <laughs> anything blobbish colors, you know, it's that, that I think that mm -hmm. would be cool. But I think the cotton candy would be, would be the bee's knees, as they used to say back in the day. I like that a lot. How about you? <laughs> what, what would be a movie you would wish oh, that was, that man. You, you know, that you would saw in 3D, whether it was in 3D or not? Gosh. do, 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 do. Manos the Hands of Fate. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, no. Um, although, you know, I'm looking, I'm thinking here and, 
you know, I'm looking around. I've got a few, I, I've taken a lot of things down because I'm trying to move, but I've got a few lobby cards up on the wall still. And one of them's for the movie Island of Terror. And I'm starting to think that would have looked pretty neat in 3D with the, uh, the, the tentacle things coming at you and all that would be really neat. Yeah, I think so too. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. And I was just thinking, can you imagine like the blob in the movie theater scene? Like if they'd add something where it's like oh. dripping down from above and like you're seeing these bits of blob drip down or something, that would be, That'd be amazing. Oh, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. It's like, okay, if anybody remakes the blob again, do it in 3d, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. All right. Well, question number three, what's your favorite 3d movie? Oh, sticking to a theme here. I got it. Uh, Why not? Why not? Uh, favorite 3d movie. Hmm. Ben, I've seen a lot of different movies in 3D. Um, I mean, you know, for me, it's Creature. I mean, I know for you, and and yeah, and and, and Creature and House of Wax they came out in the same year, right? Both they broke 1954. Creature was 54. House of Wax was, I think, the year. Ah, boy. 53 with House of Wax. Okay, That's so right. it's the year before. I'm gonna go with House of Wax. I've seen them both in 3D. I like the creatures effect, especially with the water and everything. But mm-hmm. the reason I'm going with House of Wax, it's not just the gimmick part that's coming at you. It's the way you get the full dimension. Like when you're in the museum part, the wax, yes. the, that part, it's the, the depth of it in House of Wax, the immersion as a viewer that I was able to get into that film um, was was more enhanced with the, with the third dimension. So mm-hmm. Because of that aspect, I, I give it a nod over Creature, you know, for me. Just because I, was, I felt like I was more in that thing, in that universe. Yeah, there's a depth there. It's so easy to get gimmicky with 3D where things are just like, coming at you, you know? Whereas the, the best 3D, I feel like, does emerge you more into the scene itself. So you've got foreground and background elements happening. So yeah, the very beginning, especially with the fire in 3D at House of Wax, so good. Uh, and I would say, to go the opposite of you <laughs> the water scenes in creature all the underwater stuff is just phenomenal in 3d oh that's why i said when i said i said the water yeah. scenes are awesome it's yeah. just it's we're talking about splitting hairs yeah um, exactly um and, and looking at things in a way that i really hate comparing one film to another film if it's a great film it's a film you can watch over and over and you're learning a lot more different things about it new things new nuances a good film or lower a good film or lower is a film if you watch it over and over you notice the the flaws in the film you know you start to see the 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 gum holding the, the parts together the duct tape you know the the cracks the fissures and um, because they're not great films it's, to me that's a difference between a great film and below great you know good or lower is the repeated viewings of a great film, you're always going to stay learning something. And, and with good films or lower, you, you, you'll, you'll pick up flaws if you watch it too often. And everybody's definition of what's great is going to be their own definition. If I say this is a great film, it doesn't mean you're going to say it's a great film, you know, and that kind of stuff. But that's my definition. Of how to, 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 both of these are great films. So I can watch both of them over and over, and I just enjoy finding those things so it's just, you're, when you're comparing a great film and a great film it's like yeah but i'm always amazed how the director could do it in house of wax and couldn't see the 3d <laughs> you know like, that is pretty impressive that is pretty impressive yeah dude had one working eye and he still pulled off three dimensions it's fantastic i'm just saying it's fantastic you know, it, but 
you know, it's, it, they're both awesome films. And, and I think it's interesting that, uh, the two that we're harping on right now that we're championing had so many technical things working against them. Fire couldn't see three dimensions underwater. I mean, I think that kind of speaks to the quality of the films there. But neither one of them had fire in the cemetery, which we know is your thing. Dude, if you can burn down, oh, you have no idea. Derek, Derek if you do a film, I know there's going to be a fire in the cemetery somewhere. You know, you laugh, you joke, you jest. But years ago, <laughs> there was this graveyard. No, uh, I, I used to. Um, <laughs> I'm just picturing Pyro Cook. Oh, man. I did write, I kid you not, I don't know what happened to it, but I did write a screenplay that opened with a couple of characters in order to defeat the mummies that they were fighting. And this was like a James Bond style opening where it's like the very end of one adventure before we get into the next one. Mm -hmm. Our two lead characters were wrapping up one case before they went off to another monster hunting case. They had to defeat some mummies. They had to set them on fire. And they happen to be in the Egyptian pyramids. So I opened up this whole thing with burning down the Egyptian pyramids. <laughs> I will burn the stone that you're in. The sand will go to glass. <sighs> you will burn mummies. Burn for the travesties that you've done. At last. See, come on now. It wasn't so over the top. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to fit the film. <laughs> I, I've completely lost track, man. I've completely of where we are. Was that three questions, four questions? I'll We're ask heading into question. question number four. Because question wow, number three was about 3D. <laughs> ah, see, I did that on purpose. I, I'm assuming you did, but maybe not. Okay. <laughs> Card number four. What is your favorite 4D? No, um. I knew that was going to say we're going to the fourth dimension now, and then we'll go to the fifth dimension, which is a, which is a song group, and we'll be singing the Age of Aquarius. <laughs> you know what? You say fourth dimension makes me think of time, even though it's not really technical. The fourth dimension, whatever. Blah 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 blah. What's your favorite classic movie featuring time travel? Ooh, classic movie featuring time travel. You're just making these up I, as you go, aren't you? <laughs> I am, but this one, you know, I know there aren't a lot, but classic movie what do you got time travel could always make your brain hurt i mean you know it, it i love time travel movies but i love yeah, time I travel but but if you take it you know it, it's one of those things that if you think about it too much it could just cause your brain to hurt all mm -hmm. right so you got you are you gonna limit me from you gotta give me a limitation no. nah dude oh. not no limits man come okay, on okay okay i'm gonna go right what to it then. i'm gonna go to one it's near and dear to my heart. It involves time travel, and I just love the bejeebies out of it. I'm going Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Wow! Star Trek Four: <laughs> Save the Whales. Gotcha. All right. Leonard Nimoy directed it. it. William Shatner is the Shatner of the Shats, you know, and his toupee <laughs> never goes away. <laughs> Catherine Hicks, you know, I mean, after I saw that, I was like, oh, she. And then, and I got to see her, you know, child's play and all that stuff. It was just amazing. She had that. Then she went to seventh heaven. I'm just, oh, it's just awesome. I mean, awesome. I mean, you gotta love it because all the characters, the cast, all had something to do in it when they went back in time to get the whales, and in the comedy, it's it's just it reminded me so much of the original Star Trek, like a piece of the action, a trouble of tribbles, and they brought it into a motion picture and you had two hours or whatever, how long it is 
of pure bliss and enjoyment. And anybody that anybody can watch it and have a smile with it, knowing nothing about Star Trek, nothing about the prior movies, you can go there and enjoy this movie. I dig it. Um, for a long time, I kind of fought against it because I felt like it was too. Uh, <laughs> this is where I got. This is part of my uh, a snobby film fan part of my past. Uh, I was like, oh, everybody likes Star Trek Four. Well, I don't like it then. You know, <laughs> I've gotten over that. Um, but that was that was a, a period of my life where I was like, yeah, whatever. Star Trek Four, blah 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 blah. Give me something really Star Trek, you know. But no, you're right. It's a great film. It really is. I put it as number two in my Star Trek films. Um, Star Trek The Wrath of Khan is always number one with me. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Two and then six is my number two. But, uh, you know, Star Trek, it's a great film. I actually, <laughs> I tried to get a job editing Star Trek, uh, like a Star Trek commentary video channel was hiring editors. And I tried to get a job with them. And on my resume, I put on there that... <laughs> Yeah, from the years of 1985 to 1986, I was an intern at the Cetacean Institute under Dr. Jillian Taylor. Uh, but I lost my position when she went missing. <laughs> my uncle had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, oh. Because the theme okay. of the day is let's kill uncles. So I figured we could talk about uncles. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Well, I can't think of any other uncle questions. Uh, I, I, you know, but I'm going to go to the sci-fi route. Favorite movie with flying saucers. Favorite movie with flying saucers. That'll be question number five. You know, Star Trek, spaceships, flying saucers. That's where we're going. Favorite flying saucer film. Well, I kind of already said it. I mean, I might as well just stick the landing and Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> Okay. It has a great space battle. You got Ricardo Montalbán and William Shatner leaving no scenery behind in their dialogue and just owning the picture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you got Leonard Nimoy Spock's classic scene at the end. Uh, I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, it is just such a great movie. And it takes and honors Space Seed from the original series and takes it to a logical conclusion of what would happen and down the road and brings these characters into it. And it's just it, it is just great. I mean, when you're talking about spaceships and everything else, the Enterprise, how can you come on? Spaceship destruction battle. Oh, it's just oh, good. Oh, we're all just friends here. He's not going to raise his shields, you know, and then they raised their shields fired. Oh, 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 it brings me goosebumps just now thinking about it. <laughs> Revenge is a dish served cold and it's very cold in space. I think that's how it goes or something like that. Something like, you know, that it's a near perfect movie. There's one thing that I would have changed in it to, to make it perfect. But otherwise, what, 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 would know, that, what in God's earth would that be? Kirk and Khan needed to share the screen at some point together. They needed to have a scene in which they interact physically one-on-one. -on -one. That's the only thing that I feel like that movie was missing. Now, the movie's not lacking because of it. Okay, I still love the movie, but I would have loved to have had Khan and Kirk face each other in person. Well, I don't know what they would have done, but something. I don't... I don't think it could. I don't think it would have worked in the way the movie is set up. I mean, I understand where you're coming from, that they don't share a scene together 
a person, you know, it's, it's all done via the monitor or whatever. Right. And they're not there together. But if you were, if you were to bring them face to face, I think it would, I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I understand where you're coming from, but for me, I think it, I think it works just the way it is. And I, don't, I didn't think they needed to be. Oh, I'm not saying the movie's plus. bad. Don't get me wrong. I no, still no, no. love it. Oh, I, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying it's still I, I my number one, but yeah. yeah, I just don't see it. For me, I'm fine with it. You know, it doesn't bother yeah. me at all. To me, it is, yeah. it is the best Star Trek movie. And we know how great it was when they tried to, um, do a alternate oh, no, version no, of it, and it did not fingers work. Fingers and ears. Fingers are in my ears. La, 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 I can't hear you. La, la, la. <laughs> well, I, I was already done. I said it was just, when they did the alternate version, it just didn't work at all because. It's, yeah, I know. You can't, you can't redo a, um, perfection the second time. That all Says the guy who said they should remake the blob in 3D. Come on, man. That's a perfect film. <laughs> no, no, no. What? All right. No, here's, here's what I'm going to say. When I, when I talk about remakes or whatever, uh-huh. you don't have to follow the, the movie that was prior verbatim. Like the, the second Blob movie involved the Blob, and I'm not counting Son of the Blob. <laughs> I'm talking about movies <laughs> called The Blob. Um, just, just making sure I'm clear, because I know somebody out there is saying, well, the Son of the Blob was the next one. I was like, I understand that Larry Hagman movie's there. I've seen it. I own the darn thing. And it is enjoyable in its own right. But I consider it different than movies that always stay the blob in its title. <laughs> but but the second blob <laughs> movie had a blob, but it was moved into a late, you know, updated for at the time it came out, and it changed a lot of the things around. So the ne- I'm talking about the next blob movie could be it's going to involve a blob, but it doesn't have to follow the premise or the storyline of the first movie. And I think that's what happens. I think when some people do remakes. They sometimes try to remake things and they, and they stick, they're too beholden to the source material and, um, and, and it ends up um, um, screwing it up, so to speak. Unless it's based off a book. If you're redoing a book, um, then you're kind of stuck a little bit. But if you don't do remakes every so often or redo a great film every so often, as much as I hate to say, and I brought this up on my podcast many times, the people of the, the the younger generation, they don't go back more than 20 years. Most, the vast majority of them, probably more than 10 years, to look at films. So if you don't redo it, then they'll, they're never going to know anything about that movie. So if you're just like, oh, this movie should never be remade because it's perfect this way. Yes, but if they redo it, it doesn't cheapen or lessen the original work that's always going to be there. But it gives a chance for an audience to see this movie and then possibly seek out the original movie and then discover how what that work is like and so i'm always you know hoping that people will go see those remakes and then go back to look at the earlier version and, and do it so that's my belief i know you're very you you you, you hate remakes <laughs> i mean it's okay to, it's okay to be wrong steve especially when it's on your own podcast so i get it um <laughs> my attitude has softened over the years but i still really struggle with remakes and I know, I know that the original movie is still there. It's right there on my shelf. I get that. But by introducing remakes, you dilute the shared popular culture and the shared language we all have of film fans. Case in point, we were questioning what year House of Wax came out a few minutes ago. And I just quickly went on Google because I wanted to make sure I was right and didn't come across sounding like an idiot. <laughs> you type in House of Wax in Google, what comes up? 
the 2005 remake. Well, that's not what should come up when you do a Google search or House of Wax. So, you know, you have to dig to, it's just, it, it, uh, ah. But somebody, uh, but some, somebody plays a character that dies in that film that everybody was so happy to see die. I know. And that became the selling point of the film. In fact, even one of the tracks on the soundtrack album is called Paris Hilton gets killed. I know. <laughs> that's about all that's good about that film, but I'm just saying. <sighs> So Somebody just, find me a cemetery to set on fire. I'm all worked up now. <laughs> oh, he's all worked up. I got him laddered up, and you know now, now he's going to go set a cemetery on fire with kerosene and gasoline and a match. <laughs> with your uncle? No. Anyway, uh, so he's in the cemetery. So if you come over here, you can find him and burn that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I hope. Listeners got something out of this episode. Uh, then you could say, I let's feel like we just, again. <laughs> we just went woof, way off the, yeah. Oh boy. Steve, thank you for doing this. Thanks for being flexible. Thanks for doing the short notice. I know you reached out to me, but it's like, yeah, let's do it tomorrow then. So I really appreciate that. Um, the episode about the invisible bikini and the ghosts and all that, that'll be coming up probably next week. We're going to release this episode. The, uh, week of september uh, 16th is probably when it'll be coming out so uh, in a couple of weeks you'll be able to hear steve's interview with one of the actresses from this film and then you're going to be diving into the james whale-a-thon here soon and just all sorts of great stuff one more time the name of your podcast sir it's the diecast movie podcast where the, the movie pick is decided by the roll of the die and we do interviews too with people you might want to hear about and me sometimes. So, oh yes, yeah. <laughs> there is an episode that Derek did do, and that we have out with the the wonderful Black Samurai. Dude, I love that movie so much. I hope everybody enjoys the episode. And hey, this is Derek M. Cook. You're all listening to Hall of Famer, and he didn't make me call him Sir Derek like he did when he guessed on our show. So, I mean, really, you know, come on, you're listening to Hall of Fame. You're listening to the royalty here. Enjoy. See, it. I can't. I can't insist upon that until I actually get the plaque. I still haven't gotten the award in the mail. How am I so going to? No, I'm not going to. You know, I'm, I'm all the way on the wrong it, coast for you. So you know, I'm just saying it doesn't feel real. Still, you know, <laughs> it's real, Derek. It's real. In all honesty, I need to reach out to Dave and make sure that he isn't thinking I'm coming to the October Monster Bash and was planning to give it to me there because I, you know. Oh, I'll pick it up for you in your honor and keep it in my house. Oh, oh, oh you will. Thank you. You'll, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> the House of Wax, the ultimate dimension in terror, comes to the screen in Stereovision 3D. Vincent Price at his diabolical best will take you room by terrible room on a journey to the ultimate chamber of horrors. Stereovision 3D will synthesize before your eyes the terrifying reality of it all. In Stereovision 3D, House of Wax is more than a movie. It's an experience you'll never forget. I'm William Castle, and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, Members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. 
I guarantee that the Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by the Tingler. And now may I show you a few scenes from the Tingler? This is Vincent Price. I've been involved in many blood-chilling films like The House of Wax and The Fly, but never have I played in a more terrifying shocker than my new picture, The House on Haunted Hill. It's a story guaranteed to make you shudder with fright. See The House on Haunted Hill, if you dare. Once again, thank you for being here. I appreciate everybody's support, everybody listening to the show. And if you're able to do so, please consider sharing the show on Facebook, on Twitter. However it is, you spread the word online. Please let them know about what we do here, because the more monster kids, the merrier. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. I've said thank you way too many times here, but I mean it every single time. And then some anyway, this is the end of the show (laughs) of this week's episode. Anyway, huge thanks to Steve, to Kenny, and to Mark. And, well, again, thanks to you. You can find out everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio over at our website at monsterkidradio.net. You've got links over there to everything that we've talked about here on this episode. You've got a link to Steve's website or podcast, as well as Amazon affiliate links where you can go to Amazon and pick up Ultraman or Let's Kill Uncle or anything else that we've talked about on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Please consider using the Amazon affiliate link. And if you look, you'll see that there's a special Amazon affiliate looking button that actually just takes you straight to Amazon. You don't have to do any of this fancy. Let's click on this Blu-ray, but not really buy that Blu-ray or whatever. It'll take you straight there. It's hard to miss. It's got a Frankenstein monster image on it. It's something that I threw together. And like I said, it goes to our Amazon affiliate link. It doesn't cost you any extra. It just takes a few pennies out of Jeff Bezos's pocket and puts it into Monster Kid Radios. And I appreciate that. We also have a brand new patron. So thank you to that person. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Patreon in next week's episode as well, which I remind you will be a feedback episode. So if you have any feedback for the show, make sure you send it in to me either by email or or by voicemail. Hey, Monsters in the Machine, why don't you go over that again? You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. That information is also available on our website at MonsterKidRadio.net. This Saturday in the Monster Kid Movie Club, which you can find on Twitch, just go to twitch.tv and look up Monster Kid Radio or go twitch.tv slash Monster Kid Radio. We're doing scary 70s. Now, normally the wheelhouse, the traditional quote unquote wheelhouse for Monster Kid Radio is the silent era up through like the 60s or so. However, sometimes the 70s will slip into that. It's my show. I can change the rules as I want anyway. So on Saturday, we're showing a bunch of movies from the 1970s. We're talking about movies like Rattlers, Messiah of Evil. Sisters of Death, and who knows what else. It's going to be a fun time. It's always a fun time because you're there in the chat 
free movies, free chat, live chat, an opportunity to win a prize or two. It's just an awesome time. I'm looking forward to that time this weekend with everybody. So make sure you're there. It's at 11 a.m. Pacific is when the pre-show starts. The movies start at noon. We run them all day. So pop in for a little while, pop in for the whole day and hang out with us there in the Monster Kid Movie Club. On Tuesday, at the same place on Twitch, starting at 3.30 p.m. Pacific for the pre-show and then 4 o'clock for the movies, we're starting some new serials. We're going to be doing the first half of the Haunted Harbor serial, as well as the first half of The Shadow. That's going to be a lot of fun as well. And then after that, Jeff Polair and I, meet up to talk about star trek we have a star trek episode we're going to be talking about this time around we'll be talking about the next generation episode the defector so that'll be coming up on tuesday there are links to our twitch channel as well as our reddit and our discord and everything else we've got going on again at monsterkidradio.net before i let you go i want to remind you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License, except for the song Surfside Flash 3.0. That is copyright 2017, The Anonymous Henchman. You can find it on their album, The Coming Thing, which you can pick up over at their Bandcamp page, which is Anonymous Henchman Surf bandcamp.com pick up the coming thing for ten dollars for the digital album check out the songs and let them know that monster kid radio sent you my name is Derek m cook i'll talk to everybody next week ciao